Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong. I can change a diaper with one hand. That's the fact, Jack. And Joe Getty. Joey, baby. I love you, Teddy people. Armstrong and Getty. But I know this. They're loco. So the hustle. Yeah, it's a hustle. And now, he's... There was some talk of a coronavirus baby boom. Well, if everybody stay at home, there's going to be so many more babies. I've always thought that sort of thing is just so stupid. <laughs> I mean, is that the way you all plan your families? Just whenever you get around to doing it? Is <laughs> well, when well, and yeah, how many were, kids you have? <laughs> if there were no effective methods of birth control or you didn't believe in it, then okay, maybe. Maybe, not... but not even then. It's, you know, we got enough kids, so we're not going to do this again or, or whatever. Um, but well, it turns out that is a dumb idea. Initial stats show a significant drop in December 2020 births compared to a year earlier. America has entered a pandemic inspired baby bust. Several states that keep track of births in near real time, as well as a number of hospitals, recorded significant drops in December 2020 birth rates compared to the same period a year ago, including Florida down 8%, Ohio down 7%, Arizona down 5%. 8% is a significant drop. That's huge. Well, and and uh, doesn't this ring true to everybody? I know various creative artists. I ask them, you you writing, you working on anything? And everybody's like, no. I just don't feel like it. Can't play any shows. I, don't, I just don't feel like it. Hmm. And, you know, I, I think that malaise, because come on now, Jimmy Carter, there is no doubt a lot of the world is feeling the COVID malaise. It's a fun suck. This is a bad situation, said a sociologist and, and demogra- demographer for the University of Maryland. The declines we're seeing now are pretty substantial. Um, hmm. Clearly. Also drops in Google searches for pregnancy and sex-related topics. There's a drop in Google searches for sex-related topics. That's the dumbest piece of information I've ever heard. Yeah, I don't think you need to go that deep. If babies aren't being born, (laughs) the rest of it's just details. Yeah. People make long-term decisions when they have confidence about the future, and if there's anything that undermines confidence about the future, it's the massive pandemic. Yeah, I think it's more of a people in the modern world, for the most part, plan families when and how many kids they're going to have. And now is, you know, if you were thinking about it, why would you jump into it now? We don't have any idea what the hospital is going to be like. We don't have any idea. I mean, baby showers, just why? Schools aren't open. Well, and, and not to get overly uh, poetic about it, but I just think passions have been cooled for a lot of things during the vid. No, I There's... always want to do it. Same level of doing it. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, wow. I Jeez, always want to. Nothing's, going, nothing's you, going to cool my passions. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Joe. You mentioned passions. He brings up doing it. Yeah, oh, yes. I mean, come on. We're, we're, we're talking romance. We're talking the Shakespeare of the airwaves over here. I want to do it. I still want to do it. You want to do it? <laughs> wow. Whatever oh, happened to seduction? Just... Yeah, thank you, Sean. <laughs> thank you, brother. But just there's this just this, 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 this shadow of blah and uh yeah and ugh is over yeah. everything. Yeah, it's the way I feel. Yeah, mailbag. <laughs> oh, that's right. Our freedom-loving quote of the day from the great historian writer Shelby Steele. 
Conservatism is the perfect antidote to underdevelopment. Its commitment to individual responsibility, education, hard work, personal initiative, traditional family values, and free markets is a universal formula for success in a free society. And don't let the woke fools tell you it ain't. Because it is. Says me. Michael, I'm going to ask for a transmission from this jaunty tune to the traditional Armstrong and Getty music for the haiku. Oh, the dumbest of all poetry. Gosh, I needed some structure. This oh, is jeez. A note from Cody. Gentlemen, I'm listening to the podcast for Monday. Right in the intro, you talked about poetry, and I realized I missed you doing haikus. Oh, man. Well, Cody, we'd be delighted to accommodate you. The beautiful Japanese art of the haiku, the five syllables, the seven, the five. Sean, would you agree it's the very limitations that sets the artist free? Without the restraints, there is no creativity. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I told my wife as I put the hey fur handcuffs on her. Hey, hey. <laughs> what now? All right, here's the haiku. <clears throat> Haiku's anger, Jack. This is reason enough, friends, to bust them out. What? Word. <laughs> he almost jumped in. There's only four syllables. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the beautiful Japanese art of the haiku. <laughs> Moving along to the correspondence proper. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, this is Joe, the consultant. Uh, I'm positive Sean's ridiculous mascot bracket analysis has a higher accuracy percentage than my brother-in-law's actually meticulously thought out bracket. He plays, pays close attention to college basketball. Watching him melt down was particularly hilarious. Uh, WJLHCJLP with Jesus like hair comes Jesus likes power. Not to them, <laughs> no, Joe. No, 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 that's not cool, Joe. No, no, not the this, Bible! especially not this close to Easter. I'm much yeah. more Samson than anything. There you go. Yeah, Nobody's offended yeah. by that. Exactly. Uh, let's see. Joe, you guys came up with the real reason for illegal immigration 20 years ago on your show. Yeah. And, uh, Nate, we haven't forgotten it either. Uh, well, his explanation of it, which is our explanation of it, is uh, we our birth rate is declining uh, rapidly in the United States. We are not replacing our population uh, quickly enough to prop up the Ponzi scheme that is Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. We don't have enough young workers for all the old folks, and so we've had to import uh, brown people uh, from Central America to pay into Social Security. And nobody's going to prop it up the scam. And if that's what's going on, nobody's going to say that out loud. Right. Plus, the right needs wants the cheap labor. The left wants what they perceive to be probable Democratic voters. And so the powerful really have no incentive to end this. Plus, having it as an issue is a great fundraiser. Oh, yeah. Absolutely true. We should revisit the hijacking of the flight over Belarus. Because uh, that's an interesting sure. story, and the Atlantic is—they're um, th- concerned that this might be, you know, another major signal in the breaking down of world order that we've all just come to expect. Wow! You, you get on a plane, you can fly around the world. Airspace is, you know, treated as, with a certain way, uh, with a certain idea of expectations and all this sort of stuff. Uh, is this another sign of the breaking down of world order? Maybe we'll get into that later. Wow. That gave me like a sick feeling in my stomach. Me too. Me too nice. as I started to read about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. There's part of me that wants to pay off the uh, pornographic literacy being taught in school story. but and, and this is too long to read to you the whole thing on the air. I wish it wasn't because it's brilliant. Um uh, but I will work with Hanson to get it posted at armstrongandgetty.com. It's in such a tiny font, Jack. As you can see, I am now placing on reading glasses, which I do roughly once a month. 
I am gifted with with excellent sight for I reading. To, I have to put on reading glasses to read the E on the chart. But this is this is like in a two point font. It's practically microfiche. It's like I'm a spy, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in my mouth and chew it up and swallow it when I'm done with it. I don't know why it laid out like this, but it is. Well, I'll just read it to you. It's by Dale Mortensen. Uh, critical race theory is coming to your child's school. Um, and then he imagines critical are race. Are those women's frames? Those, they those are. glasses? They are. Yes. <laughs> okay. I can't find. Judy bought me a manly pair and I misplaced them. Okay. Which, if you know me, is not the least bit surprising. So yes, these are, they're not only women's frames, Jack. They're like really. <laughs> they're pretty clearly women's lady, frames. Lady, you lady. Your bunko game later this evening. <laughs> They're, they're pretty aggressively, clearly feminine. And, Sean, that was one of the funniest things you've said, and that's oh, saying yeah. something because you are hilarious. You hadn't turned your head. I hadn't even seen the side of the glasses. Oh, no, yeah, they the are bows, very, if you will. very, why don't you go to the door? I think there's a Girl Scout there to sell you some cookies, and you can buy a bunch of boxes to support the local Girl Scouts. Well, I do. So. As Grandma. a male, I support the Girl Scouts. Oh, easy. <laughs> What 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 time is it? I can't see now. I can't see the clock on my computer because I got freaking reading glasses on. If you'd put right. on a shawl with those glasses, you'd have a certain look going. <laughs> it's a little warm for shawls. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. Right now, mailbag. You can email us, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Do you have an opinion you want to share? Keep it short. Our freedom-loving quotes of the day this week, coming from Voltaire. Jack, of course, you know that's Francois-Marie Arouet, known by his nom de plume, Voltaire. French Enlightenment writer, historian, and philosopher, famed, famous for his wit. Okay. And his criticism of the Catholic famous Church. Famous for his wit. He was a witty son of a gun. I've read several uh, things uh, he wrote way back in the day. A couple of quotes. Is politics nothing other than the art of deliberate lying? <laughs> it's fairly straightforward. I'd say. And I mentioned this late in the show yesterday, looking forward to today. Uh, this is so... Uh, remember this, folks. Remember this. A witty saying proves nothing. A witty saying. A moving slogan. A twist of words. A witty saying proves nothing. Well, yeah, you can often get cheers for it, but uh, on, oh, upon absolutely. further reflection, people will decide, but what does that mean, or that's wrong? Or I often refer to it as greeting card rhetoric, sloganeering. So what? You strung together a phrase. Let's talk about the policy, how it will work, the pros, the cons, what will change in the wake of said policy. But, you know, that's why nobody wants me at their parties. Moving along to the correspondence proper, it's Dave writing, Dear Infrastructure Team, I've listened to you infrastructures for years, and I sincerely thank you from both my infrastructure. I especially appreciate you now that infrastructure, who I'd listened to since the 1990s, has passed. I tuned into the other radio infrastructures through the day, and you're the only one I like well enough to email my various infrastructures to. No one else these days combines infrastructure with infrastructure in such clever ways that you guys constantly manage to do. Consistently, I'm sorry. Many infrastructures, Dave. I appreciate it, Dave. Well, well done. Uh, we're tracking with you there. Nick writes, Joe, I don't know if you watched the Masters. Of course I watched the Masters. But an Asian won it. You would not believe the hate from the mostly white Georgia crowd in attendance. You're awesome. Great job. Congratulations, etc. So ugly. Nice job, Nick. Uh, unwoke, unwoke older woman writes, 
On the topic is uh, put Bill Gates away. Hey, fellas, did your parents ever say to either or both of you, if you had brains, you'd be dangerous? <laughs> no, my parents didn't tend to say that sort of thing, but others might have. Well, that's Bill Gates. The man is insane, but since he's a billionaire, it's okay. If a homeless per- person walking down the street were contacted by authorities and he said he had a way to cool the earth and then described Gates' idea, he'd probably be taken to a mental health facility for at least a 72-hour hold. That's what needs to happen to Gates and any weapons he owns taken away from him. We should play that <laughs> uh, because we did that at the very end of the show on Friday. Bill Gates has a plan. I don't know whether or not he gets to do it or not to blot out the sun to cool <laughs> off the earth for a while. Like to blot out the sun for the whole Earth. Was he stroking his white cat while he was discussing <laughs> that? Or well, my thing is, does he get to do that if he decides it's a good idea? Can anybody stop him? Well, surely that's against some sort of law, blotting out the sun. <laughs> if it's not, <laughs> I tell you what. How about we put the whole phony infrastructure thing on hold for like forty-eight hours? Uh, let's see. What else do we have? Uh, no name Ron writes. I was reading a little about the argument against voter ID laws and found this. 21 million eligible voters in the United States do not have a government issued ID, photo ID. And for many, for many, these IDs are very difficult to secure. I don't believe that for a single second. Now this issue should be over. People have fought and died for the right to vote. Voter ID laws prevent people from exercising this right. Then don't we also have to get rid of having an ID to buy a gun? 21 million people in the U.S. do not have government-issued IDs. You just said that. And for many, these IDs are very difficult to secure. People have fought and died for our constitutional rights, including the right to bear arms. Buyer ID, buyer ID laws prevent people from exercising this Second Amendment right. Nice job. There's Ron. no controversy on that topic. It should be no. over. 70-some percent of people agree. So that one should be over. Yeah, and I want to talk about that a little bit more. Folks, we have to, those of us who do not think voter integrity and voting integrity is some sort of joke to be run roughshod over, we need to make an offensive case for that. Not offensive like, you know, farting in an elevator, but go on the offense and make the point that if people start to doubt the fidelity of the vote in this country, we are doomed. You could make the argument we need to lean way toward vote fidelity as opposed to everybody votes all the time we'll just mail out millions of ballots and anybody can return them anytime no ids no signatures anything otherwise you're disenfranchising people it's a specious argument and it's counterproductive it's dangerous of course you don't have to worry about it if bill gates blots out the sun so we got this note from uh, brian in kansas city jack you lived in the uh, kansas city area for a number of years i did i recall um I lived not far away and spent uh, many a pleasant day in Kansas City, both with my wife and kids, and sometimes going to football games. But Brian writes, the metro of Kansas City has always leaned blue, as most big cities do, but uh, now apparently we're taking advice from California. We have homeless that seem to have surged and started a union, whatever the hell that means in this case, and created a tent city outside of City Hall and another one in the bar hopping area downtown. I believe I have hopped some of those bars myself. The mayor of Kansas City has now agreed to put all of these people in a hotel for at least 90 days. All right. Keeping in mind that a uh, appeals court ruling recently reinforced out in Cal Unicornia said that you can't run junkies and bums off the sidewalk or out of your parks unless you have offered every single one of them a bed. In fact, you just you have to have enough beds and shelters to house them all or you can't enforce any of your laws, any of your anti-camping laws anyway. 
And then he goes on to say, the article goes on to say, how many more people are just one paycheck away from being in the same boat? And how vulnerable they are. And it's maddening. Instead of our schools teaching racism, they need to teach people how to balance a checkbook. The choices have consequences and live within their means. Rant over, I need more coffee. DCMK, don't California my Kansas. That's uh, Brian in Kansas City. And indeed, uh, I'm looking at the uh, the article here uh, on uh, the Fox affiliate, interestingly enough, in uh, KC. And it reminds me so much of a lot of the earlier coverage of the West Coast junkie bum crisis, um, you know, from five, ten years ago, in which the open-hearted, kind people were saying, well, it's just because of rising housing prices. And people have one medical problem, and they can't pay their bills, and they end up homeless. This naive unicorn riding, ridiculous crap. It ignores the fact that most of these people are junkies or just don't want to work. The people who had one medical problem or and couldn't afford their place or whatever, they're not shooting up in the park. No. They keep to themselves. They're quietly, desperately trying to get their lives restarted. And I am more than happy to help them through the proper channels. You people, you're, you're, well, I almost said you're stupid. Why would I be, why would I attack the, the victims in this case, which is the good people of Santa Rosa, California, of Kansas City, of, of, of Seattle and Portland and San Francisco are just trying to live their lives. Wake up, people. If you make it incredibly easy and comfortable to be a junkie, you get more junkies. This is not calculus. Armstrong and Getty. <laughs> Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Here's Armstrong and Getty. Juan, he took his kids to Disney World, or like just he as an adult went to Disney World? Okay, he took his kids. Okay, four kids. Uh, I was about to say something harsh about adults who go to Disney uh, on their own, but uh, then I remembered a relative. Well, I'm thinking, I get Disneyland and Disney World mixed up. So Disneyland is California. I've never been. And so uh, I'm thinking about taking my kids. Lon Chen just took his kids to Disney World in Florida, which has been open, I think, the whole time. Well, plus you got the Epcot Center there and uh, all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah. Beautiful Orlando. Let's greet Lonnie Chen, David and Diane Steffi Fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution and the Director of Domestic Policy Studies at Stanford University. Lonnie, how are you? I'm wonderful. Thanks for uh, having me this morning. I'm wondering how you rode the rides. Did you have to crawl over the dead bodies from everybody that died during the COVID pandemic since they were open in Florida but not open in California? No, no. Uh, Actually, what they did was you didn't have to wear a mask, uh, you know, when you're just walking around outdoors. And uh, when you're taking a ride, whether that ride is indoors or outdoors, you had to wear a mask. Now, those were Disney rules. Those weren't, weren't Florida rules. Uh, when you went outside Disney World, the situation in Florida was was extremely different. I mean, I've told people it was a real study in contrast being in Florida versus obviously we live in California and and taking the kids there and taking the family there and having them see kind of how a state has dealt with the situation very differently. Yeah, it was eye-opening to my kids. We just drove to see Grandma and Grandpa, so we drove through Nevada and Arizona and, you know, walking in a convenience store with no masks. And the reason for that is there's no COVID around and everybody's vaccinated. That's the reason nobody's wearing masks. They just, it was just eye opening to them that, that, well, it was a lesson in policy that, you know, a grownups make decisions on things and different grownups make different decisions. And, you know, that will inform them going forward, I suppose. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely true. And I think the other, the other piece of it is that you, you realize how important these decisions that states make are, right? I mean, 
these are things that affect your everyday lives, and they've had big impact on our economy. Certainly here in California, we've seen it, the different kinds of decisions that affect people's livelihoods. These are very real decisions. They're not – sometimes I think these politicians, you know, they're, they're, they think they're playing around. They think, well, we've got power. This is fun. They don't realize there are some very real impacts to the kinds of decisions they make, and not just the initial impacts, but second-order effects and third-order effects. I mean, if you look at Florida – because they have enabled a tourism economy to continue at some level throughout the course of the pandemic, the Florida economy is is in better health than the California economy. And, mm-hmm. and that's just the, the reality of the situation. Well, I think academics spend so much time in theory that sometimes they have trouble remembering, because a lot of politicians are academics, they have trouble remembering, oh, these, this is, there's actual real people here. It's not just a, you know, a piece of paper and numbers. And like they don't said. always behave like you think they will or should. Yeah. Now, well, hey, speaking it, of people behaving oddly, Elani, what do you make of the crowd that is still, say, masking individually outdoors in large numbers in the progressive parts of America? It, it, what's your conclusion? What's going on here? Well, I think it's a combination of two things. I think one is the sort of overhang from just how polarized we are. And unfortunately, some of these public health questions got deeply polarized during the height of the pandemic. Uh, you know, and, and it became more than about what we were learning from the science, what we learned in terms of what was best to keep people safe. It, it sort of went from that to virtue signaling. And, you know, which is not to say that all of this is virtue signaling, but I think some of it is, quite frankly. I think some of it is getting people to behave in a certain well, way. Well, it's not signaling you it. understand the science. I guarantee you that because you're well, not. That's, I mean, that's and, one and thing I, you're not signaling. Well, and I and I think that's a great example, right, because the even the CDC has revised its guidance with respect to if you're outdoors and you're engaged in activity outdoors, what kind of masking is required, you know, and those rules have changed officially. And, of course, those rules, I think, changed a little bit later than they should have. I think we've known about outdoor transmission and issues involving outdoor transmission for some time now. And and even then, you still see a bunch of people who, who decide, you know, they're, they're, that they're going to mask now. In some cases, I, I, I want to say, in some cases, I think it is a personal choice. In some cases, though, it, it does strike me that people do it because they want to be seen doing it. And uh, that is unfortunately something that, as I said, we've all become so polarized. It's become such a politicized issue. I'll tell you the thing that bugs me, though, guys, really fundamentally, which is from the beginning of this thing, we've been told by public health authorities to follow the science. But repeatedly, those public health authorities have been the ones issuing hypocritical statements, right? Uh, you shouldn't gather in crowds, but it's okay if you gather in crowds as long as it's for the right reason. You have sure. to mask, but you don't have to mask if you're getting together with the right kind of people. That kind of guidance drives people nuts. And I, that, that, I think, unfortunately, really does eat away at our, at our trust in governmental institutions. Talking with Lon He Chen. So we've been talking a couple of things that were in the news that, well, every day there's something in the news about critical race theory, but we're playing some, uh, Ibram Kendi and talking about the anti-racism book and that sort of stuff. Critical race theory. How big an issue is this for Republicans? Are they going to try to use it in, uh, in the 22 election? And do you think it's a good idea to use it? Well, I, I think it's definitely an issue. Uh, I think it speaks to the broader issue or broader problem that I think many Americans are experiencing, which is whether they're, you know, Republicans or Democrats or whatever. I I think there's a lot of Americans who are sick of being told what to do and what to think. And in some ways, the discussion and the battle over critical race theory, 
uh, and you know, actually, it comes from critical legal theory, which was a, a thing when I was in law school and was really in the ascendance uh, during a period of time, you know, in the 1990s and early 2000s. This whole notion that we have to see the world through a racialized lens. Uh, I think a lot of Americans look at that and they say, you know what, that's not how I see the world. Uh, I see the world as let's create opportunity for everybody, regardless of race. Let's, you know, let's figure out a way to to try to live up to the ideals on which the country was founded. And and so as a result, I think this pushing of critical race theory onto people, we're starting to see a little bit of resistance, not just from conservatives, mind you, but from people who are who are in the center who are saying, listen, I don't. I don't want to be told what it is I need to think because I spent my whole life developing my own thoughts and my own impressions, my own feelings on these things. So I think that's the resistance point, guys. I don't think it's going to be the specific issue of critical race theory. I think critical race theory speaks to a bigger problem that people have with the far progressive left right now. Right. I would agree. Although the indoctrinating the kids in schools into this horrible racist uh, philosophy, that is specifically a political issue that I think will stick and, and get people's attention. Uh, a, a bit of a change in topic. I've been looking at alternate voting systems lately, whether it's ranked choice voting or I've recently fallen in love with uh, approval voting, where if there are five candidates and you think three of them are pretty good, you vote for all three of them and they, they just count up who gets the most votes, which better represents the true will of the populace. Uh, what do you think in any of those systems? Any of them got a chance to take hold? Well, we're going to see, you know, there's a, an actual uh, deployment of this in New York City in the mayoral election. They're going to use a form of ranked choice voting, and, and it's in existence in a few other places. Most of the places where it's been in existence before we're going to see it deployed in, in New York City this year have been relatively smaller uh, jurisdictions where, you know, they're able to get the population really well up to speed on what they're supposed to be doing. I, I love looking at alternative forms of people being able to get their views and, and, and their points of view expressed and known. My only concern about all these is that people will not have the ability to fully uh, understand and be explained to them what it is they're doing. You know, I think sometimes we go and it's confusing enough. We got to vote on 40 ballot propositions or whatever in California sometimes. So my thing is I would love to see how these things work in these jurisdictions and let's figure out what are the really the, the best ways for people to express their points of view in a way that can be clear and concise. And then let's, let's start to roll those out a little more broadly. So I agree with you. Some of these forms of expression are really great. But I do worry about overcomplicating the system uh, because it's already pretty darn complicated. Mm-hmm. Lan He Chen calling for the end of democracy because people are too dumb. <laughs> paraphrasing his comments. Mm. No, I, I mean, listen, I uh, I am very curious to see how this all works in New York City. I would love to be able to see us begin to, to see this. And I, I think some places in California are actually thinking about doing this. Some places in other states are thinking about doing this. Let's see how it works. You know, and if people say, yeah, I kind of like the way that this is, I feel like I'm able to better express myself. Let's do it. Well, um, Maine, again, like, Maine has been doing ranked choice voting and MIT did a study and found that the campaigns got more negative, which ran counter to what people expected yeah. to happen. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not, not surprised by that because negative campaigning, even though people say they don't like it, it happens to work. And and that's what the political science research shows over and over again. Well, my learned opponent, Lon He Chen, with another one of his lies. <laughs> oh, that's right. You're a guest. You're not my opponent. Lon He Chen, David and Diane Steffi Fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution, Director of Domestic Policy Studies at Stanford University. Lon He, always enlightening. Thanks a bunch. Uh, we'll talk to you soon.
Thanks, guys. So here's a guy who's worked on uh, Mitt Romney's campaign at a high level, Marco Rubio's campaign at a high level, and he's done the research and says that negative campaigning, it just it's just a fact, dudes. It works. Oh, absolutely. I don't think there's any doubting that. Huh. And it's fun. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. So we were just talking about... Um, you know, the, the never-ending topic of how many people will end up going back to the workplace, remote working, etc., and how Morgan Stanley in New York has said, yeah, if you're not in your desk by Labor Day, we're going to renegotiate your salary because we we're paying you a New York salary for being here. We're not going to pay you the same amount if you're going to work remotely, and I wonder if that will start happening in a lot of your more expensive cities, for partially because you would make the argument, hey, if, if, if we're here in San Francisco and I'm paying you to be in here and you're going to work remotely... Well, I think I can probably get somebody as good or better for less that lives somewhere else. Sure, suburban Albuquerque, why not? Yeah, why Why am I paying the you-live-in-San-Francisco salary? The competition for those jobs just expanded exponentially. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now, if you have a contract, then you're getting into, you know, some, mm. some shaky territory. But Yeah, I wonder if there's any contract law around that. Like, I'll bet a lot of contracts... N- never stipulate that you need to come into the building. It was just assumed because of sure. course you would. Of course you would. It's the only right, way you can like do your job. It's like stipulating you have to be alive. I yeah, mean, or wear yeah. shoes. Nobody's contract says you need to wear shoes. Cover your genitals. Um, uh, but The list is endless. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then this from The Atlantic, which is currently out. Derek Thompson discusses the future of working from home, beginning with the question, who wins? Thompson posits that established, we've talked about this, Established white-collar workers benefit and will continue to benefit from the work-life balance that working from home offers. Others, such as entry-level workers, will need to make an impression on their co-workers, will miss out on coffee runs and commiseration. If the pre-pandemic office was like a fine dining experience, a large group enters, sits down together, and leaves several hours later, the post-pandemic office may may be more like a neighborhood cafe, People will come and go. You'll recognize some of them, but feel estranged from others. And the office might convey a sense of both vague belonging and day-to-day transience. Uh, those of us with a lot of turnover in our industry already feel that way. Yeah, it was all, the true is already bad enough of you. Yeah, you know, we used to joke about this, and then it just became true. Don't really take the time to get to know some people because you don't think they're going to be around very long anyway. So you just don't even bother to, to learn their names or say, hey, nice to meet you. You know, where do you live? You married? You got kids? What do you do for fun? Yeah, no point. God, I think back years ago, there's no way. There, there are people around here I've worked with for years. I have no idea if they're married, single, have kids. No idea. And but likewise. When I was early in my career, I would have been to... I was at, I'd been to everybody's home and them to mine. I feel, right. I think it's illegal for me to even ask those questions of, of modern coworkers. Hey, are you, well, what's life like out here? Oh, HR meeting. <laughs> what are your medical difficulties? Which way do you swing? So Kevin Faulkner, who's running for governor in California, former mayor of San Diego. If Gavin Newsom is recalled, Kevin Faulkner is hoping that he gets the, the highest number and ends up governor of California. Moderate but, Republican. But he Good just man. he just retweeted. Um, I'll just read what the tweet is. This just happened at the Walgreens at uh, Goff and Fell Streets in San Francisco, a Walgreens I know. And it's a video 
I'm looking at it right here, listening to the audio. Uh, we gotta we gotta post this so you can see it. It's somebody taking a video of what happens now in cities like San Francisco. Here's a guy, looks to be homeless. He's on a bike and he's got a trash bag. He's in the Walgreens. He's just grabbing stuff off the shelves, like armload, just shoveling it into the bag. Loads up the bag, gets on his bike, and and rides out while they're filming it. And the person filming it says, should we call 911? And the security guard, the mall cop there, kind of tries to grab the bag out of his hands, but they're not supposed to stop him. That's the official policy in San Francisco. Well, right. And if the city government doesn't care about theft, I'm not going to get stabbed. Right. And uh, Kevin Faulkner... um, Again, who's running for governor said this has to stop in Gavin Newsom's California criminals commit brazen theft with no consequences while businesses and customers can do nothing but watch. And the number of like CVS's and Walgreens that have closed in the San Francisco Bay Area, it's a lot of them because you just can't do business anymore. That's, that's an amazing video. Something that I would have never believed could exist in a modern society where people get to come. It's only because more people don't know that you can do that, that it doesn't happen more often. The grocery store that I walk into all the time, you could go in there and grab a six-pack of beer every day and walk out and wave and say, hey, taking my beer to drink for the day. See you later. They're F not you. They're not going to stop you. Yeah, well, good news. Number one, I tweeted that earlier today, and we have it at armstrongandgetty.com. So if you want to check it out, check it out. It's there already. And by the way, speaking of Kevin uh, Faulkner, we, we had an extra-large podcast with him yesterday. That's also available at armstrongandgetty.com. A uh, couple of other texts before I get to my NPR story I got to fit in. Um, uh, about Crocs. Most hospitals are no Croc zones because people trip on the shoes so often and break their lateral fibula bones. I don't know how often that happens. It's like the most more most worn shoe in America, so I don't know how deadly it is. But um, anyway, and also this. Jack, uh, this was a, to me not knowing the li- what the lyrics to songs mean. I don't know what the lyrics to any song mean. I never even think about it. Um, I would love to explain every 21 Pilots song to you. They're all great. Check out the new albums, uh, Scale to Nicey. I will. I love 21 Pilots, but I don't know what their songs mean either. Is that the guy who wrote the songs, maybe? A celeb encounter? I don't know. We were talking about uh, Roger Waters and another brick in the wall. I don't know what that means. I've never even stopped to think about it. I just wow. sing, I sing along. I sing along to sing. I sing along to songs and I never stop to think about what they what they mean for some reason. I don't know why. I will it's not so be a party to this bull. I don't blame you, Roger. That's Roger Roger Waters saying he will not allow Mark Zuckerberg to use their Pink Floyd song for his Instagram ads. No, which is fine with me. So, and it would be a horrible irony if he did, since the song is exactly about the damage stuff like Instagram causes, which uh, spawned the Jack never listens to the lyrics uh, discussion. Um, so I'm listening to NPR today and they're talking about California opening. So California is the last state in America to open. And I live in a city that will be the last city in the last state to open. But, uh, and they were talking to, they had a therapist on to help people deal with the idea of taking their masks off. And this is for vaccinated people. And they had a, real, you know, you gotta realize, of course, that, uh, all across the country, people have been going without masks for months. For months, people have been going out with masks, without masks. Schools wide open, restaurants, everything. So they had a therapist on and, and asking the therapist, what should people do that are still feeling a lot of apprehension about taking their mask off? For instance, if someone's uh, invited to a backyard barbecue, how should they handle it? Well, the first thing you should do, says the therapist, is she should say to yourself over and over again, I am safe, I am safe, I am safe, to try to calm yourself down. 
before going into a backyard barbecue with no mask on. Outdoors, I'm assuming, this backyard barbecue, where even Bill Maher said the other day, I see a person with a mask on outside, and I think you are a blanking moron. Right. Um, and also, uh, perhaps you should call the person who invited you to the barbecue ahead of time and uh, get an idea of the lay of the land. How many people will be there? Will there be social distancing before you go? And also, If you're vaccinated, who cares? Why do you care? Why are you asking? And also, if you're still uncomfortable with the idea of going to a backyard barbecue without a mask, perhaps you're not ready yet, and it's okay to say to the person who invited you, no, thank you, I won't come. Perhaps you're a neurotic mess and you need years of help yeah. <laughs> to get so, back to normal. So instead of the host saying, what should we do for people who are so so neurotic or mentally ill that they're still scared to go outside without a mask? No, it was to help people who legitimately, uh, justifiably, are too scared to go outside without a mask. Because they have zero chance of getting a disease, 99.8 people uh, percent of people are fine. Yes. How could we be this different in the way the way the way we look at things in the same country, in the same state, ten miles apart? God. I know it's astounding. If you're scared to go to a backyard barbecue without a mask, you're mentally ill. Armstrong. And-